by the grace of God. I am what I am. Start off by reading Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 16, uh, those first eight verses, uh, just one more time before we get started here, because this is what this is what we're going to talk about. Uh, for a couple thousand years now, Christians have been gathering together on Sunday uh, to worship because of this Sunday, a long time ago, uh, when Jesus rose from the dead. So. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Let me read it again, and we'll get started. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. He was dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But he has risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So again in verse 6, Right, they walk into the tomb looking for Jesus, this man that they loved, wanting to care for him even after his death and to anoint his body and to try to slow down even more what they assume is going to be the decaying process of his body. And so they walk in and they see a, a, a young man sitting there, find out as an angel, and he says to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And there's nothing there. There's just these linens that were around his dead body. He's not there. And then he says, Go, tell his disciples. He's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. The, the ultimate I told you so of all time. Right there. So basically... Uh, what we believe as Christians or followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus Christ, what we believe uh, is that Jesus was raised from the dead by God. And very simply put, if Jesus is still dead, then Christianity is dead. If Jesus just died and didn't rise back to life, then he's not worthy to be called a king like everyone else. He's not worthy to be adored. He's not worthy to be worshipped. He's not worthy of our ongoing affection. He's not worthy of people today gathering. If Jesus is still dead, 
And if Jesus did not, in fact, rise from the dead, then there are millions of deluded people on the face of the planet right now who are devoting their lives, believing that Jesus is king, and believing that, that Jesus has obtained that rightful place as king because what we just read in Mark chapter 16 takes place. Because if Jesus really is a king, I mean, here's what we all know about kings. Kings conquer. Okay, that, that defines a king. And if a king doesn't conquer, he's not a king. Well, Jesus didn't do, if you read through your Bible, or if you study historically, he didn't do any conquering while he was alive. That was not the kind of king that he was. And in fact, Christians don't believe that he did any conquering while he was alive. What we believe is that Jesus did his conquering of death and of the grave. He didn't get a, a people physically in this planet to submit to him at the end of his sword. He didn't conquer in, in the way that every other king that we have seen in the history of mankind has conquered. He wasn't that sort of king. But we believe that, that the ultimate thing that rules over all of us, the ultimate thing that, that, that is Lord over us, ultimately is our sin and death. And there's nothing we can do. Two things are sure, right? One of them's coming up next week. Death and taxes. Okay, hopefully you were thinking, death? No. Hopefully it's the taxes next week. Hopefully not death, you know, for a while. But that's for sure. And none of you, though, we've been obsessed for millenniums at trying to, trying to delay death or trying to get out of death, you know, becoming vampires or whatever. We have this fascination with immortality. But the reality is, every one of you know that you're going to die. In fact, any of you that are over like 25 years old, you know that your body is on its way. You just like wake up every morning. You're like, what is going on? Things are falling off. Things are sprouting up in places they don't belong. I can't walk like I used to. I'm throwing things out. I can't even walk to my car without jacking my hip up. I mean, what's going on? I mean, so you can see that so that you know that death is sure. And death, okay, is waiting for every single one of you. Okay, so that is the one thing right, that no one has ever been able to master, but Jesus, we believe, actually conquered death. That's why that is a really big deal. And so we always say here at Veritas that the most important question that anyone and everyone on planet Earth needs to ask themselves is, who is Jesus? Because he said some dramatic things about himself and some dramatic things about you. So you need to pay attention. You need to either figure out whether or not you think he's just lying, whether you think he's crazy, or whether you think he really is who he says he is. You've got to work that out. And even more specifically, more specifically, when you're asking that question, who is Jesus? You've got to get to Mark 16 and say, did Jesus rise from the dead? That is the most important question about Jesus that everyone needs to ask themselves. Was he just another man? Maybe different in that he lived a great and sacrificial life, but is he still... Are his bones and his body and his skin, are they still in the ground? If not, then that means that whatever he says needs to go for your life. And whatever he says about you must be true because he is truly the king of kings, if that's true. So we want you, all of you, we want you to wrestle with that question. And the problem is, is that we live right in a, in a world and in a culture it just doesn't really take life very seriously. Okay, that the world around you is not daily pressing you to ask yourself really big, 
significant, monumental questions about your eternity. That's not what's going on. Everything about our life and this culture has been just boiled down to banality and everything's just trivial and everything's just kind of meaningless and everything is just about the moment and everything is about being satisfied right now and being happy and just making sure that you enjoy yourself. Everything from that's what's promoted through the media to that's what parents ultimately want for their children, they would say. If I could just have one thing, it's just that my child would be happy. But there are much more important things and much more significant things, the Bible says, that, than being happy and living in the moment. And so you, at the very least, you've got to get to the place where at least you ask yourself the questions. Don't just go through life just, just with tunnel vision and just blinded to these enormous claims that have been made by people who have walked the face of this earth. Don't just ignore that and say that it doesn't apply. At least we've got to all, right? Christians, non-Christians, wherever you are, we've got to examine and we've got to look and say, did this happen? Did Jesus rise from the dead? If he did, what did he say? Because I need to know. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15 really, I think, gets at the heart of this. I'll read this and then we'll pray for God to help us to work through this. But 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read you verses 17 through 19. Okay, this gets at the heart of the resurrection and, and how important it is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. It is not bunny rabbits. We got nothing against rabbits. I like them. They're pretty cool. Fast. Ever seen them? Just want to go across the street? Hard to hit. <laughs> but listen, we don't have any PETA members here. But listen, or watching online. But listen, and if you are, I'm sorry. I don't didn't mean that the way you think I meant it. However, that was if it was negative the way you think I meant it. But anyway, just kidding. <laughs> but here's the deal, though. Okay, that's not what Easter is about. What Easter is about, you know, Happy Easter. That's just something later. Okay, that's just thought up to be. Like, well, we're not religious. We got to figure out some other way to get a day off. <laughs> rabbits, <laughs> eggs. Rabbits have eggs. <laughs> we're kooky people. <laughs> what are we doing? You know. And at Christmas, we bring the forest in our house. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, okay, let's, let's just get moving on here. 17 through 19, this is, what, this is what Easter is about. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's what Paul says. That's how important the resurrection is. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, and all He is then is hope for this life, and that's what He is to a lot of people. He's a great example. He's a good man that I can follow and learn a lot from. He says if that's it, then we're still in our sins. Nothing is really remedied in our souls. And we are to be the most pitied people of all. Because we are missing apparently the biggest points in the universe and we are devoting our time, energy, and resources and our worship to a king who has been dead for 2,000 years. Okay, so let's pray that, that God would help us. We're just going to ask ourselves four questions today. And the first one is going to be, what is resurrection? What does that mean? 
what are the evidences of resurrection? I want to appeal to your minds. What is evidence of the resurrection? Is this just foolishness? Is this just mythology? What, what is this? What is the evidence for that? What are the common objections to the resurrection? Okay, how have commonly people historically objected to the resurrection of Jesus? And then finally, what does the resurrection mean to me? What is the significance of the resurrection biblically? What does it actually mean? So let's pray that God will help us in that. So God, we come before you uh, this time where we're gathered to worship you. And uh, we're all here together and we're here as friends. And uh, I'm sure, God, that some of us know you, uh, some of us don't know you. I'm sure that some of us love you and some of us don't love you. I'm sure that some of us have been following you for a long time and some of us have been following you for a couple weeks and some of us will start following you next week. Lord, we're all in a, a similar place in that we, we are sinful. Whether we realize it or not, it's the truth. We are sinful. Our sin has separated us from a good and perfect God. And Jesus Christ is our only salvation. So help us all whether we've been following Jesus for 50 years or we haven't started following him yet, help us all to see that we are sinners. That our sin has driven a wedge between us and a holy and perfect and righteous God. That we do not belong to you, that we do not belong with you. But that instead of punishing us for our sins, you have punished your son, Jesus Christ, on behalf of us. And so we love Jesus and we worship him as king. Help us to see that, all of us, this morning, this afternoon. Help us to see that, God. Open our eyes big and wide. Open our hearts. Open our ears. This wouldn't be story time, God. This would be life-changing time is what we hope. So we ask this humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, the one we're going to talk about. Amen. So the first question I would ask is understanding what uh, what resurrection is. There's probably some misunderstanding about this. There's misunderstanding even amongst Christians, I think. The first thing we know is Resurrection is not revivication. It's something different. Revivication is, and we have stories of it in the Bible. Someone is dead, they're raised back to life, only to die again years later. And you've got lots of stories about that. Second Kings chapter 4, Elisha raises a guy from the dead. Okay, But that guy, what? He died again. Okay, So he didn't just not die. Um, Mark chapter 5, we read that uh, months back. Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises uh, a man named Jairus comes to him and he raises his daughter from the dead. And she goes on to live a life, but then she dies. Just like we will. John chapter 11, one of the most famous stories in your Bible, we read about Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus. And Jesus went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. He revived him from the dead. But of course, then he lived this life and he, he died. And something else has to happen then. Um, in the book of Acts, after Jesus has gone and is up with the Father in heaven and he's left his church to begin and the disciples are working that out, much like we're trying to do today. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a, uh, the, the apostle Peter and we read about somebody named Dorcas. A good name for kids when you're studying the Bible. It raises Dorcas back from the dead. Another great story in Acts chapter 20. You remember Paul. Paul's preaching. People are packed in. There's not a lot of room. So a young teenager that was up late the night before makes a serious mistake of sitting on a balcony on the rail and listening to Paul preach. Now, you think I preach a long time. Paul preached a long time. He'd preach for a few hours. He'd give you a bathroom break, and then you'd come back and finish out the rest of the day. So Eutychus, another good name, 
was up late the night before. Paul's in the middle of a sermon. Eutychus falls off the balcony and perishes. He dies in the middle of a sermon. That could mess up a sermon pretty good. Hey, but what is Paul's given this ability to go and to revive him and to actually bring him back to life. So, so what resurrection is not, it's not that. It's not revivication. It's not a second chance. You've got a lot of these people out there that say that they died, right? And then God brought them back to life and gave them a second chance. God does not do that. And if he does do that, I wish he'd do that for some other people, right? He doesn't do that. You've got people talking about they got books like Five Minutes in Hell or something like that. You know, they talk about dying, and then God took them, and he, he gave them some serious advantage over everyone else, and took them to heaven, and took them to hell, and showed them all these things, and then he revived them, and brought them back to life, and, and he gave them a second chance. That is not what the Bible teaches. Okay, this is what the Bible teaches happens uh, when we die. Okay, the Bible teaches that all of us have a body and a soul. Okay, so there's two parts to everyone. Okay, there's your body and there's your soul. The body is the material part of you, right? You can look down and you can see and you can pinch and it feels pain and it can run and it can walk. It can do all these different things. Okay, you have a material body. That's not all that you are. You're not just skin and bones. You're not just ligaments and a beating heart. Okay, you're more than that. You have a soul that is within this shell of your body. So you're material and immaterial. What the body teaches is that when you die, okay, we're all in the process of decaying, and we know that, and eventually this material body is going to give out. It is not going to work anymore. Okay? And the Bible teaches us that when you die, separation occurs. Separation of your body and your soul. Okay? Your body, we all know, we've seen it, your body goes in the ground, typically. Okay? Your body stays behind. Your soul, the Bible teaches, goes to one of two places. And where your soul goes when you die, is how that is determined is what you do in your life, namely with the question, who is Jesus? And did Jesus rise from the dead? What you do with that question and how you answer that and how you live according to that, that determines whether or not when you die, you are what the Bible says condemned in God's eyes or justified in God's eyes. So if your faith and if your hope and if your trust is in King Jesus and you're loving Him and serving Him because you believe that He has taken care of your sin, that He has paid the price for, for your wickedness and that He has made a way for you to worship God and to live with Him and to love Him forever, if you believe that, the Bible says you're justified and when you die, you go to be in the presence of God. You go to enjoy a, a foreshadowing, a taste of even better things to come that we'll get to in a minute. Or you get to go to paradise. If you live this life rejecting Jesus and rejecting God and trying to please Him by other means, by thinking that you can be good enough or smart enough or happy enough or accomplished enough, but you never submit to Him, if that's how you live your life, the Bible says at the end when your body gives out, you will be condemned. The Bible says that you too will go to a place where you will experience a taste of things to come, a foreshadowing of things to come. The Bible calls it Sheol or Hades, and it is a place of conscious torment and suffering. Okay, for those of us to go be with Jesus and in paradise, it is a foretaste of heaven. And for those who go to be in Hades, it is a foretaste of hell. And the Bible says that that is determined right here, that there is no second chance. There's some scriptures to back that up. 
1 Peter 3.19 in regards to Hades. This talks about Jesus and something that he did in those 36 hours between his death and his resurrection. He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. We're there for prison. Talking about Hades. All those up until that time of Jesus who had died and were condemned did not love God and were not faithful where they were in that place of waiting. Revelation 20, uh, 13 through 14. This talks about what's going to happen. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, what the Bible calls hell. Luke 23:43 talks about what happens to believers, followers of Jesus, when you die. You know the story. Jesus is on the cross. Okay, There are two people next to him. One stands condemned when he dies. One stands justified when he died because he loves Jesus and puts his faith in Jesus. And Jesus looks to him and says, Today, not in a million years or a hundred years or a thousand years when I return, but he says, Today you will be with me where? You've heard it before. In paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The Bible says to be for believers, to be away from the body, that's death, to be separated from the body. The other way of putting that is to be with the Lord. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why is it gain? Because it's to go to be with Jesus. Okay? It's a very good thing. We get a real clear picture of it in Luke chapter 16, 22 and 23. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, paradise. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Okay, so this is what the Bible teaches about resurrection. That's death. Okay, you've got a material body, an immaterial soul. When you die, there's a separation. Your body dies, but your soul does not die. You are not annihilated. You do not cease to exist. You all have an immortal soul that God has created within you. And it is not dependent on brain waves or a beating heart. Those are meant to maintain your physical body. Not your soul and not your spirit. So when you die, that separation occurs. The resurrection, and resurrection is this. Resurrection is the reversal of death. Resurrection is the reunion and the reuniting of the body and the soul. That is what resurrection means. At death, okay, there is a separation and there is life after death. Okay, and we would describe that life after death as Hades or paradise, depending on how you've lived your life, you go and there is a life after death. And most religions in the world, right, embrace that there is life after death, right? There is some place that you go. But as Christians, believing in the resurrection, we believe more in that immediate life that, that immediately comes after dying, where you go to this place of waiting. We believe in life after, life after death. There is even greater life. Not this continued disconnected state, but we believe in resurrection. And resurrection is we are given, our, our bodies are reunited to our souls and, and we have new bodies that, that look better but that are recognizable. Same bodies in some sense. 
and they are brought back together and we live in a, in a real way, in a new heaven and a new earth that will be right here. God comes and restores and, and takes away the sin and takes away sinful people and takes away tears and takes away wickedness and takes away poverty and takes away hunger and takes away murder and takes away thievery, takes away all those things. And those who stand justified are reunited with their bodies to live in a perfect and sinless place with God shining as bright as the sun. So that, that's good. That's, that's, you see, we start getting excited about Easter. Like, so as Christians, we believe that that's what happened to Jesus. He was resurrected. So when he came and was brought back to life, we don't think that he was like a ghost. It, was like, it wasn't like a Scooby-Doo episode where he's just kind of floating through life for 40 days like the Bible talks about. He was reunited with his body. Right? The disciples recognized him. His mom recognized him. His brothers recognized him. He wasn't an apparition. He was real. Thomas, what did he do? He touched him. Okay? He said, put your hands here. His disciples came and they, they rubbed his side where the, the sword pierced. Okay? And they felt his hands and they could felt the indentations where the nails were. So the, the body and the soul the Spirit of Jesus was reunited. And as believers, we believe that that also is going to happen to us. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that what happened to Jesus is a precedent and a pattern for what is going to happen to believers. That one day we will experience a resurrection. And our body and our souls will be reunited to live eternally with God. So this is what Christians believe happened to Jesus. It's what we believe will happen to us. So that's much more than Christians saying, we believe we're going to live forever. You see the difference? A lot of religions believe that. No other religion believes this, by the way. No other religion at that time or in this time believes in a resurrection of a, of a reuniting of the body and the soul, except religion that is founded in Jesus Christ. Because he set the precedence for that. So, now let's answer some questions about that. Understanding what resurrection is. But what is the evidence for that? You know, why should I believe that that really happened? Because that sounds like an X-Files episode, honestly. You know, if we're talking about changing our life and, and devoting my life and redirecting all of my passion and affections towards Jesus who supposedly did this, well, let's appeal. God gave you minds. He gave you reason. He gave you intellect. Okay, what are some of the evidences? So we'll look at some historical, some biblical, and some circumstantial. And we'll go through it pretty quick. First of all, there is some historical evidence for this. First of all, a lot of people said that, that this, this you know, obviously was just made up. That's the only alternative, right? This was written immediately after Jesus died. His disciples and others started teaching and preaching and writing down that Jesus raised from the dead. So either it was true or it was not true. Now, historically, what some historians have said in the past was that it was a borrowed idea and it was a way of enticing people and bringing them into a cult to say, hey, look, this is what can happen if you follow Jesus. You could be resurrected, reunion of the body and soul. But here's what you have to understand about the context in which these people live. They did not want a resurrection. First of all, they thought that it was impossible. And all of their philosophers, to them, if they were non-Jews, basically their Old Testament would have been... Um, writings of someone like Homer. Okay? And then there's going to be philosophers like Plato and Aristotle, and they're going to, they're going to gather together these kinds of teachings. And, and it's not religious, it's philosophical, but that's how life is organized based on what is thought to be 
good thinking, right? But the thinking of the day and what Homer and Plato and Aristotle and others would all agree on is that the body was a prison. The body was a prison and death was seen as an escape from that prison. So to preach that believers will be resurrected and Jesus was resurrected and that the body and the soul would be reunited was not a popular idea in that culture. That was not a sales pitch to get people to follow Jesus. People didn't want to be resurrected. The body was seen as a prison, something to avoid, and death was seen as a freedom from that prison. So resurrection, there was no, there was no motive for the disciples historically in that context to teach and preach that that's what was to come. Okay? And yet they did. The Christians and the Jews, who believed in a different sort of resurrection, but they both believed that the body and the soul was going to be reconnected. There's biblical evidence. If you trust the Bible, and you should, as a, as a legitimate, accurate, historical book, there are things that you should pay attention to. One is that hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah predicted in his writings that Jesus would rise from the dead. Centuries before. Not only that, but Jesus in his lifetime, recorded by four other authors at different times in different places, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and hundreds and thousands of other people attested that Jesus predicted himself that he was going to die, and in three days he was going to rise back to life. So in the Bible, when you look, Jesus predicted that this was going to happen. Jesus was buried in a tomb easy to find. That is important to know. The Bible tells us that Jesus was not buried in an obscure place, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, which, by the way, Isaiah also prophesied and said Jesus will die and then he'll be buried in a rich man's tomb, which wouldn't have made any sense because he was a poor homeless guy. But upon his death, a follower of Jesus surfaces named Joseph of Arimathea, and he says, I want to give my tomb. A, a wealthy tomb, an expensive tomb, a nice tomb, a recognizable tomb, a tomb where everybody would know where it was. It's easy to find. So if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if the tomb wasn't empty, there wasn't a lot of confusion about, well, where do we go to find out? There was a very obvious, recognizable, popular place where Jesus would have been buried to go and to see. He's here or he's not. We think that people didn't do that. One of the things you'll see is as people try to disprove the resurrection, one of the assumptions that they make is that people were just morons 2,000 years ago. And that we have all this intelligence and we're so far advanced and we're so further down the evolutionary chain that we look at these people like they're just stupid. Oh, we're, huh? If you say so. Just go and just see, you know, see. They knew where the tomb was. Go. It's, he's either there or he's not. Okay, and if he's still there, don't you think that people as this revolutionary religion, which ended up in many ways running counter Roman civilization that was ruling at the time, don't you think the Romans would have presented his body? So here you go. Enough of this. Okay? It didn't happen. And historically... We know that didn't happen. We know there was no body to be found. But his tomb was easy to find. Jesus appeared physically after his death, the Bible said. Not just spiritually. We already touched on that. Physically, he appeared to his disciples. Jesus' resurrection was celebrated in the earliest church creeds. So when you read your Bible, okay, within years, 
of his death. They are preaching that he was raised from the dead. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. So within years of this, the leaders of the church, Paul here, a part of their creed, in other words, this is what we believe as Christians, was Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. More biblical evidence. Jesus' resurrection convinced his own family to worship him as God. Don't overlook that historical and biblical fact that his mother and his brothers worshipped him as God. Can you imagine pulling that one over your siblings? Over your mom? And my mom's here today. You know, and, and my mom loves me. And she listens to, she watches my sermons like six times every week or something. It's crazy. But I'll tell you what, if I started pulling her aside and saying, hey, I'm going to let you in on a little something. There's a reason you like these sermons so much. I'm God. <laughs> you think she's going to buy that? So what do we say when we look back in history and say, oh, well, just the, Mary and James and Jude, they were just deceived. They worshipped him as God. They devoted their lives to him. Her own son. His brothers, I'm sure when Jesus was growing up, they said things like, I know Jesus, he walks on water. I'm sure they said things like that. And I'm sure it was rough living with Jesus because he like never sins. And you know they were baiting him. You know they were trying. Like we are sick and tired of getting in trouble all the time. It's like, this is nothing we, can, we can't tattle. There's just nothing to tattle on. But what happens after Jesus died? His resurrection. When you look in the Gospel accounts, while he was alive, James, his brother, rejected him. He rejected his claims of deity. Jesus said, I'm God, and James said, no, you're not. It was his resurrection that caused... Look at the books of Acts. Look at history. James went on to lead the largest church centered in Jerusalem and wrote a book of the Bible. And he thought his brother was crazy. The resurrection. Hey, no one does that except for God. Jude, his other half-brother, he wrote a book of the Bible. And Mary, his own mom, worshipped him as God. You don't pull the wool over your family's eyes enough to where they devote their life and die because they think you're the king of kings. It doesn't happen. And then finally, Jesus' resurrection was confirmed by his worst enemies. Guys like Paul. Paul lived up until roughly my age persecuting Christians. Killing Christians. Ripping them out of their homes. Throwing them in prison. And Paul ends up dying saying, Jesus rose from the dead. And I will say that to the grave. His worst enemies. Right, these are biblical, historical facts. You see what? If we're going to be serious, and unless we're just going to ignore these things and sweep them under the carpet, we at least, we at least got to ask the question. Who is Jesus? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Circumstantially, what happened? 
that supports that he, in fact, did rise from the dead? Well, the first one is that the disciples were absolutely transformed from being timid and scared to courageous. Right? You read the book of, you read the book of Acts, and then you, you read the Gospels, and then you read the book of Acts. And you read about the disciples in the Gospels, and they're just, they're just timid. I mean, the best one they got is Peter, and he gets all excited sometimes, says, oh, I'll die for you. And then as soon as the heat comes on, he's like, I don't know Jesus. And then you read the book of Acts, and it's like, what? What happened? Did they go like on extreme makeover, weight loss challenge? I mean, what happened? Biggest lo- is he the biggest loser? Is that what happened? Is he's got all this confidence now, and his life turned around? No. Jesus raised from the dead. And, and whether you believe it or not, you can't deny they believed it. They believed it with all their heart to where they were no longer timid. They were no longer afraid. Their king, their ruler, had just been mocked, tortured, and killed. And it was pronounced, and and persecutors, and and Roman governors, and, and emperors to follow would launch mass persecutions where if you loved Jesus and believed He raised from the dead, you'd be stuck up on a post covered in wax You would be lit on fire to light up the road. So don't tell me that those people, whether you think they were right or wrong, don't tell me they didn't believe with all their heart that Mark 16, 1-8 was fact and really happened. They, They believed this and people were transformed from being timid and shy and scared and freaked out and wanting to scatter to staying right there at the heart of where the persecution was, right there where Jesus died and building a church that loved and worshipped Him. They were absolutely transformed. Secondly, the disciples, not only that, remained loyal to the death. All but one of the disciples, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved the most, all of the disciples, ten out of the eleven, all of them died a martyr's death. Do you know what that means? That means that there was a point where they could go on living if they would just say, okay, I take it all back. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And they said, no. Jesus was raised from the dead. Saw with my own eyes. I don't care what you do to me. I'm not going to deny that. Do you think these were a bunch of cult leaders? I think this was a hoax. I think they just were power-hungry people that wanted people to follow them. All of them were loyal to the death. Listen, we've got messiahs today. Okay, Messiah is a savior. We believe Jesus is the savior, the messiah. We've got a lot of saviors in the world today. Got a lot of people talking today about saviors. People in, in military. People in local and national politics people that we believe are going to what? Or at least initiate change and bring some kind of salvation to us as a country. But here's the deal. And there's loyal following of these people as modern day messiahs and saviors. But here's the deal. We know this as people. If they don't follow through, their most loyal followers will kick them to the curb and begin to make excuses and start looking for the next messiah. That's why you can know and understand that that Jesus came through with what He said He was going to do with His disciples. They believed this. They didn't cast Him to the side. Kenneth Scott, 
Laterat says this, It was the conviction of the resurrection of Jesus which lifted His followers out of the despair in which His death had cast them and which led them to the perpetuation of the movement begun by Him. But for their profound belief that the crucified had risen from the dead and that they had seen Him and talked with Him, the death of Jesus and even Jesus Himself would probably have been all but forgotten. But these men believed that Jesus raised from the dead. Third, a third cause and a third effect from Jesus' resurrection, we can see that the disciples were of exemplary character. These men were not just changed in courage. These men were changed in character. These men were men who were exemplary men of God, who were respected in their churches, in their communities, in their cultures. This wasn't a bunch of, of rednecks okay, gathering together some hunting buddies, right, trying to accumulate as many wives as possible and buy a plot of land in South America and drink Kool-Aid together. This is not who these men were. These men were uneducated, uninfluential men who began to turn the world upside down and there was nothing in their own character or in their own life that became the downfall. Their life was changed in holiness, like many of you who are as Christians can attest to, because of a risen Jesus. Four, the day of worship changed from Saturday to Sunday. That is significant. The day of worship was not Sunday. The day of worship was the close of the week. The day of worship was Saturday. And immediately the entire church, and still does today, 2,000 years later, began worshiping on the first day of the week because it, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. In Revelation 1.10, you can already see that Sunday has been called the day of the Lord. Why? Because they believed that He raised from the dead. Not our schedules don't really work on Saturday anymore. Got too many soccer games, camel races, whatever they did. That wasn't it. It was, no, this is a more appropriate day for worship. Why? Because Jesus raised from the dead. It was an effect of his resurrection. Number five, women discovered the empty tomb. I'll tell you why that's significant. Women discovered the empty tomb. We just read about that. And then they went and they began to be the ones who shared this. Okay, the issue though is that if you're creating a religion, as some would propose they did, and the resurrection didn't really happen, and you're writing out a testimony, you would not have women discover the tomb because the, the testimony of women meant nothing in this culture. It meant absolutely nothing unless it was substantiated by a man. It wouldn't have even been listened to. So if you're going to create something, you're going to have some dudes that are respected, at least the disciples discovering the tomb, not women. But that is the biblical story. The only reason you're going to have that is if it's a real account of what actually happened. Another important thing to notice historically and circumstantially is that the tomb of Jesus was not enshrined. Which is important. You can go and see where they believe Abraham was buried and it is enshrined. You can go to the tomb of Buddha. You can go to the tomb of Muhammad. And people still gather around these places and worship at these shrines. There is not even 
an inkling or a clue as to where Jesus was buried. And the reason is because where he was buried became completely insignificant to everybody because he was not there. We have no clue where Jesus was buried because there was no focus on his tomb because it was empty. And finally, Christianity has exploded on the earth with a few billion people claiming to follow Jesus today. That's, that's a big one. That's a lot to dismiss to stupidity and ignorance and deception. That's a lot of people. C.F.D. Moole of Cambridge University said the birth and rapid rise of the Christian church remain an unsolved enigma for any historian who refuses to take seriously the only explanation offered by the church itself. And you know what that explanation is. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. How else do you explain the commitment of these disciples how else do you explain the rapid growth of a religion that's going to get you killed? How else do you explain that? Read the book of Acts. The world was turned upside down. Historically, the world was turned upside down. We can read about Jewish historians like Josephus who weren't Christians. We can read about uh, Roman messengers like Pliny the Younger who was writing letters about the Christians and, and what was happening and what was going on. And there is, there is no doubt and no historian would deny that Christianity and its impact on the world at this time following the death of Jesus was unbelievable, unprecedented. Nothing like it had ever happened before. Nothing like it has ever happened since then. And the, and the religion, if we want to call it that, and the belief is this, that you worship a guy who died and was rose back to life, and you live now in a culture that killed him, that crucified him, that tortured him, and wants to do the same thing to you. Is that a, does that sound like a sales pitch to you? Does that sound like something? Well, no wonder people were jumping on board. They weren't buying a Kirby vacuum here. I mean, this was, this was unbelievable what they were giving up their lives for and jumping into. So you've got to at least ask yourself the question, who is this guy? And you've got to get more specific and say, did he really rise from the dead? Because the only explanation for the expansion of the church and the only explanation for people devoting and giving their lives is that there really was an empty tomb and Jesus really did rise from the dead. And therefore, people were scared and fearful and in awe and knew, I don't care what anybody else does to me, this guy came back to life. And you can do whatever you want to me. And you can throw me in the lion's den, as many did. And while I'm there being torn apart by lions, I will sing songs to Jesus. And they did. They did. They did this. And all I'm trying to do is just get you to at least ask the question, is it possible? What if he did? Don't dismiss the Bible. Don't dismiss history. Don't dismiss it and buy the, the belief and the lies that Satan and the culture would want to tell you that it doesn't matter and it's meaningless and just go on being happy and having a good time. 
If this happened, and if people's lives have been changed like this, and if what Jesus said is true, it has more impact on your life right now than anything else. And I know that you happen to live in a culture that is, that is just not pointing in that direction. So it's no wonder you don't believe it. It's no wonder you don't buy it. It's no wonder you're not into it. I get that. But you're accountable to some things now. What are you going to do with this? Go, disprove it. Disprove it. Do the research. Find these historians I'm quoting. Disprove them. But you've got to do it. You've got to ask yourself the question. So four common objections to the resurrection. Hey, historically, everybody knows that Jesus' body disappeared. Everyone will agree on that. There was no body there. Not everybody believed that he raised from the dead. Okay? But there was no body. It was gone. Here's the four objections. No joke. This is what you do when you can't prove anything. You get squirrely. And you start making up weird stuff. The first one, the body was stolen. The body was stolen. In fact, that was and is still today for many Jews, the explanation. The body of Jesus was stolen. But there's a couple problems with that. One, the tomb, in front of the tomb, and all acknowledge and agree that the tomb was covered and sealed with an enormous rock. Okay, and the seal of the emperor was put on that. So that if it was removed or taken away, okay, it's pretty obvious. And it would take many men with levers to move this. So it would be a pretty extensive project just to get the door open to get to Jesus. He was probably guarded. We know he was guarded by some soldiers, maybe even as many as 100 Roman soldiers. It's no wonder. I mean, Jesus was a very important figure at this time. The Romans saw him as a rebel. Okay, They saw him as somebody who could raise up enough people and be, be a revolutionary and start a revolution against the Roman government. Okay, and so they could foresee some things happening and what could happen if the body was stolen and they tried to make some claims about Jesus or whatever. And so the tomb was heavily guarded. And if his body was stolen, what, what's the motive for that? There's only a couple of choices. One is maybe they stole it and, and you hold it for ransom or something. And you wait until everybody wants this body. And the Romans are saying, okay, we will pay anything to have this body surface so that we can prove that what all these loony Christians are saying about Jesus rising from the dead is not true. So we'll hold a ransom. But what is commonly believed is that the disciples stole it. So pay attention in light of what we've already studied, what that means. That means that everything the disciples said, everything the disciples did, and everything the disciples died for was based on a lie. They knew Jesus did not rise from the dead because they stole his body. They knew he didn't rise from the dead. And yet, they lived the way they live and they died the way they did. Wouldn't it be a good timing at the end, like when Peter is about to be hung upside down on a cross because he didn't feel worthy to be hung the same way his Lord was? Wouldn't that have been a good time for Peter to say, Time out. I'm really, really sorry. Ha ha, funny big joke. We stole the body. He didn't really raise from the dead. Of course. And yet, when you don't believe this, you've got to figure out other ways of trying to answer the question. The second one is that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross, but he swooned, or he fainted, or he became unconscious. This is actually what the Quran teaches. This is what Islam believes. 
Jesus did not actually die on the cross. So they believed that he reappeared and he was walking around and he did all that, but their explanation was, well, he wasn't really dead. He just passed out. So he was beaten. He was flogged with a cat of nine tails, which was nine whips, okay, nine strands of leather with things like bone and glass tied to the ends of them. They'd be whipped across the back to wrap around to the front, and then they'd be jerked. And it would rip flesh. If you saw the movie The Passion, it did a good job of showing you what that would look like. Like 50 or 60% of people on their way to crucifixion died during the flogging. So his flesh was ripped off. A crown of thorns is put on his head. Okay? When he's on the cross, you remember, to make sure he's dead, they stab him with a spear and blood and water flow out, most likely piercing the sack that surrounded his heart. Now, he was dead, and if he wasn't, if he was unconscious, he was in the tomb for 36 hours with no food, no water, no medical attention, with 100 pounds of linen and spices wrapped around him. And he got up, and he rolled the stone away. And he snuck out while the 100 guards were sleeping, and then he presented himself to the disciples as a viable king. And they looked at him and worshipped him. Okay, even if he made it through all that. I mean, it's like he's not looking good. It's like weekend at Bernie's at best. Like they're propping him up like, here's the king. And he's like, ah, oh, this really hurts. I mean, come on. Unconscious? And he came back and that's what he did. And the disciples were like, man, you are a king, aren't you? I mean, maybe if he made it through there, I mean, you're like, dude, you're a stud, but, I mean, look at you. You can hardly stand. You're no king. But that's not the deal. They spent time with Jesus, the Bible tells us, and they said for 40 days. He came and he taught them, and their confidence just increased as they saw that Jesus, we saw you there, and we see you here. And you're perfect, and you're strong, and you're mighty. Whatever you want us to do, we will do. Third objection, is that a twin... I'm not joking. <laughs> a twin brother died in Jesus' place. My two lords. That's what the movie would be called. <laughs> twin brother. Saw the movie The Prestige. I don't know. So the, just being kept hidden all the time, like in a, you know, under the stairs. <laughs> the, the little brother, you know, brothers, Jesus' twin brother. You know, hidden, and some Muslim scholars teach us, trying to explain it. He had a twin brother. That's who actually died on the cross. Gotcha. Pull the switcheroo on you. I wonder who the twin brother that died, you know, what he was thinking. Is that just a short straw? What? I'll be the resurrected king. You, ah, oh, bummer. Well, it'll be cool. They'll write books about us. I mean, come on. Is that really what happened? Or the disciples and others hallucinated. That's the fourth objection. But when you read the account of Scripture, you can't account for what is taking place. And historically, when you see what happened, you can't account for it, it was a hallucination. This is what John Dominic Crossan, he is, the, he is the, the co-chairman of what's called the Jesus Seminar. You've heard of the Jesus Seminar. It was a group that started in the 80s of like 150 scholars. And they, got, they all got different colored highlighters and started going through the Bible. And they just collectively decided what they felt was true and what they felt wasn't true. Just based on all of their higher criticism. And so they went through and edited the Bible. So that's his explanation. His explanation was that they just, 
hallucinated. In fact, he was quoted in Time magazine as saying that he believes that Jesus was buried in a shallow grave and his remains were eaten by dogs. And the disciples' um, teaching that he had risen from the dead was wishful thinking. Okay, we go back to the same arguments, though, and ask ourselves the question, would what resulted and the circumstances and the effects that followed, would that happen? If it was a body that was eaten by dogs in the ground and some disciples with some wishful thinking, would they go to their graves with that wishful thinking? Would millions come to know Jesus? Would the church still be strong today? Not if Jesus didn't raise from the dead and not if there is a real one true God that is building His church through Jesus who is alive and well and will come back. Simon Greenleaf, who was Dane Professor of Law at Harvard University, died in 1853, but this is what he said. The great truths which the apostles declared were that Christ had risen from the dead and that only through repentance from sin and faith in Him could men hope for salvation. This doctrine they asserted with one voice everywhere, not only under the greatest discouragements, but in the face of the most appalling terrors that can be presented to the mind of man. Their master had recently perished as a malefactor by the sentence of a public tribunal. His religion sought to overthrow the religions of the whole world. The laws of every country were against the teaching of his disciples. The interests and passions of all the rulers and great men in the world were against them. The fashion of the world was against them. Propagating this new faith, even in the most inoffensive and peaceful manner, they could expect nothing but contempt, opposition, revilings, bitter persecution, stripes, imprisonments, torments, and cruel death. Yet, this faith they zealously did propagate, and all these miseries they endured undismayed, nay, rejoicing. As one after another was put to a miserable death, the survivors only prosecuted their work with increased vigor and resolution. The annals of military warfare afford scarcely an example of the like heroic constancy, patience, and unblenching courage. They had every possible motive to review carefully the grounds of their faith and the evidences of the great facts and truths which they asserted, and these motives were pressed upon their attention with the most melancholy and terrific frequency. It was therefore impossible that they could have persisted in affirming the truths they have narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead, and had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. If then their testimony was not true, there was no possible motive for this fabrication. Who was Jesus? Did Jesus raise from the dead? If he did, if Jesus raised from the dead, there is serious implication on our life. The first one is that Jesus is king. And we believe that. We say that a lot here at Veritas. Jesus is king. He is our king. The resurrection reveals that He is our Messiah, the Anointed One, our Savior. He is the only one who can undo what we've done in our sin. He alone is King. Romans 1, 3, and 4. Concerning His Son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it means Jesus is King. Second thing it means, Jesus rose from the dead, is that we should listen to Jesus. But don't overlook that. But you should listen to him. He says a lot. He's got quite a book. You've heard of it, but you should listen to it. You should spend the rest of your life trying to understand what his book says. If he rose from the dead. Matthew 28, 6, the angel said after Jesus rose from the dead, He is not here, for He has risen as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. He is not risen. He is not here, for He has risen as He said. When the disciples saw that what Jesus had said about His resurrection had come true. There was instant and increased validity to everything else that he said. Same is true for us. His teaching was truth, and it was truth that we can trust. And I'll tell you what, there's not a lot that we can trust today. There's not a lot that we can trust. Not a lot that you can bank on. Not a lot that you can put your security in. Except Jesus listen to him. Number three, Jesus is qualified to forgive sins. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is qualified to forgive sins. Romans 4.25 Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus did not just die. But he did. And when Jesus died, he suffered the the wrath that you and I deserve for our offenses that we've committed against God. Jesus didn't commit any offenses against God, and yet He took on our sin and suffered our punishment and suffered the wrath that is due us, and He suffered that in our place. And He accomplished that in His death. But Jesus did not stay in the grave. Jesus, as a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus did not live right eternally up to this point Okay, and then come and die, and then the Godhead and God was broken up and the relationship was severed and Jesus never... But Jesus, it went on from there. He rose from the dead, was restored to His rightful place in majesty where He rules and has the right to do whatever He pleases, namely to forgive you of your sins. If He didn't rise from the dead, there is no forgiveness of sins. Just another martyr to someone else who lived a good life and died a horrible death. But he rose from the dead as king with the authority to forgive sins. Number four, only five. Number four, followers of Jesus will be resurrected. We believe that his resurrection is the precedent and pattern for our own resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.20, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep falling asleep, those who have died. He had the first fruit. So what happened to Christ and His resurrection will one day happen for believers. And Revelation talks about this, that at the end, our, our bodies and our souls will be reunited and will live eternally. Fifth, 
what God is doing is He is reversing the fall. That's what resurrection gets down to. When you read Genesis chapters 1 through 3, it's an amazing story because it gives us the account of creation. It gives us the account of the first man and woman, and you're reading it, and really what you have is heaven on earth for the first couple chapters, literally. You don't have sin. You don't have anything to cry about. You don't have anything to be frustrated about. You got perfect relationship. Hey, you've got Adam taking a nap with a lion. Hey, you've got plants that he doesn't even have to touch. They're just growing and, and just producing fruit and vegetables for him. Doesn't have to do a thing. Okay, you got perfect weather. Okay, everything is, is just bliss. And then Genesis 3 says, and then, because God gave man a choice and gave him the capacity to disobey, and man disobeyed. And every man since has disobeyed. Every single one of us has rebelled the way our first father did. And that rebellion, no, no wonder, had dramatic consequences. And life changed. Friends, that's why when you watch the news, you see what you see. That's why when you read the paper, you read what you read. That's why there's walls of hostility. That's why the animals are against us. The weather is against us. The whole creation is groaning. That's why people don't get along. That's why marriages split up. That's why relationships don't last. That's why nothing ultimately is secure and hopeful in your life. Because of sin. Because of sin, those bodies that Adam and Eve had, and of course our bodies, they were subject to decay and ultimately death. A timer was put on every single one of us. You're not going to live and rebel against God as long as you want. There's going to be an end to this. And so what God does in the resurrection, He reverses that. And where there is death and where there is decay and where there is sorrow, God reverses and He begins to reclaim and restore everything back to where it was in His perfect creation. And so He reunites your soul as a believer, he makes it perfect one day and reunites it with a perfect body. Even better than Adam and Eve. And then he puts you in a perfect place. Not floating around on clouds playing harps. But right here, only perfect. He puts you in a, in a new earth where there is no sin. Where he has taken the effects of sin and the effects of the fall and the effects of death and the effects of decay He's taken all of that and he reverses everything and brings life and peace and perfection. To where one day the, the, the lion and the lamb will, will lay down next to each other again. And one day the, the sun will be always shining. There will be no need for rain to nourish plants in a fallen world. There will be no need, and the Bible says that there will be no sun. There will just be God, and God will literally be the light of heaven. So did Jesus raise from the dead? There is not a more important question for you to ask yourself. And what God makes clear, and hopefully what you're... you're 
your reasoning makes clear is that there's only two choices. There's either to uh, receive this truth. See, I believe Jesus raised from the dead, and therefore I believe whatever he said is true, and I'm going to find out what he believed, and I'm going to accept it. There's either to receive it or there's to reject it. And friends, what you have to know, and many people live their whole lives like this, that indifference to it is rejection. Indifference to it is rejection. I don't care. It's not for me. It's not important. That's your thing. Very common language in our culture, but that is the same thing as rejection because it is not receiving it. It is not embracing it. It is not believing it. Now, we call ourselves veritas because veritas is a Latin word for truth. We love truth. Specifically, we love the truth of the gospel, the good news. We love the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to talk about over and over and over again. Friends, today the good news is the best news. The good news is that Jesus was killed and he was murdered and he did really die. But the longest death could hold him was 36 hours and that only by the appointment of God. And when God said it was done, he raised his son Jesus back to life. And Jesus now reigns as King of kings. And he is in heaven now with arms open and wide saying, Come to me. Come to me. Read, understand, listen to your friend, listen to your brother, listen to your mom, listen to your child, listen to the preacher. Okay, I've brought you there for a reason. And what they're saying is my veritas. It's my truth. It is the word of God. Don't deny it. Embrace it. Receive it. Believe it. That's what Jesus does now. But Jesus says that there will be an end to my mercy and my grace and my open arms. And at the appointed time, I will not have my arms wide, but I will take a sword and I will take a rod of iron. And I will return from the heavens. And I will put an end to sin and misery, and death once and for all. And I will send the condemned, the idolaters, the self-worshippers, the deniers of Jesus away from the blessings of God eternally. And I will gather up those who love me and follow me and serve me to enjoy a resurrected eternity. Who is Jesus? Did he rise? Oh, God, this is your, these are big things to talk about. And sometimes, Lord, when we even feel like when we try to put them into words that maybe we somehow don't do it justice, Lord. But thank you for not communicating to us in just some transcendent, uh, unintelligible way, but that you have given us a book to read and a, a Holy Spirit that can help all of us uh, believing and not right now to understand. So help us to understand. And Lord, would you would you just put Satan in a headlock right now? Would you just bind him up and just remove him and, and put him away and, and the forces that work with him away and the 
the lies of the world and the culture that we, you know, we hear all the time, but we know are meaningless deep down in our soul, but they're just so loud and convincing sometimes and appealing. God, could you just keep that at a distance from, from us right now so that we don't dismiss your truth? And help us to accept what you say in your word has, has been foolishness maybe to us for a long time. Maybe some of us as believers, the resurrection has just really been foolishness to us didn't understand what it was or what it meant. Maybe some of us are here this afternoon and we've never heard this before. Maybe some of us are here and we just we don't know who Jesus is. We don't know where to start. We don't know where to begin. Lord, just take everything that is untrue and, and, and get that out. Lord, to bring your truth about your son Jesus Christ to the deepest places of our heart right now. And don't soothe us, Lord, with fairy tales or promises of things that aren't going to happen in this lifetime, but soothe us with the mercy and grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. And please unleash the gospel in every heart here right now. Help us to understand that all we must do is turn from our sin and turn to you. Turn from our sin and turn to you. Turn from our sin and turn to you. And keep turning to you as long as you give us life. So we love you. No wonder we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.